understand usually right now you'd be excused to go with Tim and Kay, but this morning we're going to invite you to stay in here with us. And so uh, the rest of you all that are older than children, you can pray for Pastor Chris as he makes the adjustments. And uh, um, yeah, the nursery workers can head out and anybody who is going to be in the nursery. But the rest of us all, we have the privilege to turn in our Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. So we've been following the children of Israel since they were uh, brought out, delivered out of Egypt by God through the Red Sea and came to the edge of the promised land by God's bringing them in an 11-day journey right to the edge of the promised land. And they sent in the 12 spies and the spies came back. Ten of them had a bad report, two of them had a good report, and the people rebelled against God. And said, we want to go back to Egypt. So then they went on a 38-year journey in the desert. Because they were on the edge of the promised land where God wanted to take them. But they were unwilling to go. So now we're back in that spot. And through the first six chapters of Joshua, we've been following them. And God told them to prepare be strong and courageous because I'm going to take you into the land. And they've crossed the Jordan River now. And they are facing their first opponent. And I want to ponder this with you as you have and I have. We have obstacles in our way. We have enemies. We have walled cities that stand before us. And if I understand it right, I've been to Israel, but not necessarily to this particular spot where they crossed the Jordan, where you could see Jericho. And when they came down into the Jordan Valley, they must have seen Jericho in the distance, possibly. Because you can see a long way when you're on top of the hill, and then you come down into the Jordan Valley, and we learned that it was the Jordan Valley runs most of it the low sea level down to the Dead Sea. And so you would have seen Jericho when you come over the ridge and when you go down the valley, and they would have been able to see it in the distance, and then maybe when they're coming back up the hill on the other side, it would disappear for a while. Now again, they're standing on the verge of this walled city. And however you want to understand, you have obstacles in your way, and I want to just take a minute, give you a... Second, to answer the question, what's your, what's your walled city? What are you standing up against today? Where have you come to in the journey you've been on where you're up against a Jericho? And if I understand it right from the studies I've done, Jericho was a walled city about eight blocks. And there were two walls, actually. And they were built one next to the other with... A uh, gap in between where they put garbage and other things. 
But there wasn't just one wall, there was two walls, anywhere from 8 to 15 feet thick. And the houses were built on top of walls, as we already read about in chapter 2 of Rahab. And she lived in a house on top of the wall. And so the people in the walled city have been looking out and seeing the Israelites come, and they've been doing some thinking too, and pondering about what's coming their way. So you're either in one of these two places. You're either looking at something coming at you, which is oppressive and difficult, and you're wondering how you're going to get through it, or you're looking at something you're supposed to move toward, and it's oppressive and difficult and troublesome. And it might be something physical. It might be a medical issue you're facing. It might be something emotional. It might be circumstantial. could be with a job. It might be relational. Something you're dealing with, with in relationships. It could be financial. It could be spiritual. Whatever it might be, it's an obstacle. And it's in your way. And I just keep wondering. I've been pondering this again and again for, for weeks now as I read and reread the story. And God knows what He's doing. And at the front edge of the promised land is a walled city. And if they're going to move forward to embrace and possess what God has for them, they have to go through a walled city. And we're going to read in a minute about this crazy battle plan. But you could do some research like I've done and like some of you have done. And you can study Jericho and you can find out the dimensions. You can find the height of the wall, how the wall collapsed. And you can do some research about how many times they traveled around and the blowing of the trumpets. And all that's fine and good. But ultimately it boils down to trust. Are they going to trust God? Are they going to trust God's instructions? Are they going to trust the promises they've already been given? That's why I've invited you again and again to read through Deuteronomy. The context of Joshua. What they've already been told. 400-year promise, I'm giving you the land. And so the question is, not only to God, is God faithful? Yes, He's faithful. But what are you doing with His faithfulness? And what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your trust in? Some of you, like myself, we face walled cities for a long, long time in our life. And we've been kept out of some of the things that we should have been possessing and could have been possessing if we'd have been trusting God. And so when we come to Joshua chapter 6, we find them on the edge of this city, getting ready to take the city. And Joshua had just met the commander of the Lord's army and he had just bowed down and worshipped him. And then it says Jericho was tightly shut up. Nobody was coming in. Nobody was going out. And so I thought about that. What does that mean? It means no movement. Maybe you've come to a place in your life and maybe you're not even getting it. You are paralyzed. 
either by fear, circumstances, relationships, and you are making no forward movement in your life. Although time is passing, you're getting older, situations in some ways change around you, but you are stalled out. Stalled out. And God gives some instructions. And they're kind of unusual battle plans. And so this is the first encounter with the enemy. And it's all about will they trust God or not trust God because they have years of battles coming. They have years of walled cities they will face. They have 300,000 square miles promised to them. And at the peak of their taking of territory, they take maybe 30,000. And so will they inherit? Will they take possession of all that God has for them? And I've been wrestling with this too. This whole idea of faith and obedience. How does this work out in this walk with God? He's given us minds. He's given us wills. He's given us reason. He's given us hands and feet. And He already told them, everywhere your foot will set will be yours. But you need to go in and possess it. You need to go in and take it over. And so there's an invitation. Somehow this walk that we're in with God. We're to trust Him. Trust who He is. Trust what He's done and what He's already demonstrated again and again. But trust is an unusual... It's You walk it out. You may have had trust yesterday and things may have been fine yesterday, but you can't just assume and presume that everything is going to be fine tomorrow. He invites us every day. Jesus said, give us our daily bread. And maybe there's gaps in your trust. And there's gaps in my trust for sure. And God's teaching us to trust Him. Now Jericho was shut up tightly because of the Israelites, because of the reputation that God had already established, that the Rahab had professed to. Our hearts are melting in fear because of you and because of your God. So Joshua chapter 6 verse 2, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. So the word delivered, if I... I mean. I could ask you English. Are you an English expert a little bit? Mia, are you an English expert? We have some English experts. But I look at the word delivered and it's past tense, right? There's an ED on the end. And so that means I have delivered this into your hands. It's kind of like when the kid, he's very hungry for supper and he goes to mom, mom, I'm hungry. Supper's going to be on the table in a little bit. It's a done deal, isn't it? Mom knows it. Everybody else in the family know it. Is the child going to trust their mother? Because time and time again, she's had dinner on the table ready. And it says, I have delivered. I'm thinking, God must have been pretty excited about it too. He's been waiting 400 years for this very day to bring these people into the promised land. And if your mom prepares a meal for you, I guarantee, not every time, sometimes she's exhausted and she's doing it just because she loves you, 
and she's wiped out. She's had a long day, so you better be careful what you say about mom's dinner before you eat it and during and after. But I'm saying, can you imagine? There's, there's God's involved in this story too. And he's saying, I have delivered. I have delivered. What have you done with what God already delivered to you and to me? Are we grateful? Are we standing in wide-eyed wonder for what he's already accomplished in our lives? Or do we want to go back to Egypt to eat junk food, to eat leeks and onions when a banquet is laid before us? So God says to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and fighting men. Now he gives them the battle instructions. And maybe Joshua, after he met the Lord's commander, who was standing with a sword drawn, and um, maybe Joshua has been waiting himself. He's somewhere near 80, 85. It tells us a little further on in the story. He still says, I got my strength and my vigor. He and Caleb were two of the original spies. 40 years ago, who went into the land. He has some taste for this land, and he's been waiting a long time because of the disobedience of someone else. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry, carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing the trumpets when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. I wish they would have had Joshua's reaction recorded there. Did he say, oh yeah, Lord, this sounds great. Or you want me to go back and tell the armed soldiers this? We're just going to march. We've already marched for 38 years. It doesn't make any sense, Lord. And if you think trusting God means that um, you have to take away your reason and your understanding and your will and throw it out the window, I'll tell you this. If you know anything at all about the Christian walk, it will require everything you have. It's an all-in situation. It'll take your brain. It'll take your reason. It'll take your heart. It'll take your will. It'll take your dedication. So God isn't telling them to check out. He's telling them to check in and trust. Trust God. He's inviting them to trust Him. And so here's a warrior receiving this kind of message. So if you think you got problems with some of the things that God asks you to do, asks us to do, you think you have problems with God's, with trusting God? Put yourself in Joshua's place as a warrior who's been waiting for this battle probably at least 40 years. 40 plus years. He's been waiting for this and now he gets his instructions. You're going to march. You're going to do some marching. So then Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, verse 6, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests and blew the trumpets. And the rear guard followed the ark. 
All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until I tell you to shout, then shout. Then he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once more. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night. So um, we had a, a willing guest this morning draw a picture of what I, as I read, and this is our armed guard, this is our priests, and this is, as you read the story and you look through different verses, I found it a little bit, I was trying to understand exactly how it said, but I know that the ark was to be um, following armed guards and the priests and more armed guards. But there's another verse that says, and the armed guards would be just before the ark. And I thought, so however you lay this out, you have armed guards in front, armed guards behind, and the priests carrying the trumpets. And then one of the verses say, all the men will go up. And if you look in Leviticus, at this point, there's 600,170. Do I have that number right? I have it written down up here. But it's in Leviticus 26 when they did the second census. So, what, and we don't, we know that there were seven priests, but we don't know how many armed guards we, there were in this group or in this group, which could be down here and this group. But there's going to circle the city, circle the city, not just one day. Not just two days. Not just three days. Maybe that was the reason they were to keep their... Can I say that? Keep your mouth shut? Okay. But he told them not to speak. What, do you think there might have been some grumbling starting up by about the third day? Is this it? Is this how you trust God? You just do what He says? I mean, I'm supposed to trust God and, and just believe that what he said is the truth? I'm not supposed to manipulate that, change that? It's the third day, it's the fourth day, it's the fifth day, it's the sixth day. I'm supposed to just listen to God and do what He says? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You would think. But we've already say, seen that these people are a little bit stubborn, a little bit hard-hearted. And so Joshua has them keep quiet while they circle the city. Now, I didn't draw Jericho. Thank you for drawing our picture. But you get the idea. that This is the, the priests were blowing the seven trumpets, and it sounds like they blowed continually as they walked. And you could go into all kinds of, and there have been stories of as they marched, if there was 600,000 men from 20 years old and up, that as they marched, the ground was shaking because it's only eight blocks. And if you start with 600,000 people, um, by the time the last one begins, depending on how wide you are in your row, you would have a, you would encircle the entire city before the next, the final person starts their journey. So Jericho, is surrounded again and again. And the last day, you're to walk around there seven times. And then shout. 
Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning, took the priests, took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taping, taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and they must go into the treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that every man went straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men, women, young, old, sheep, cattle, donkeys. I want to take a moment and read something from my notes because... Um, even as my son and I were talking last night, it's disturbing. I'll give you that. I'll grant that. It's disturbing. Men, women, children, everything. But if you don't know the context, and you don't see the bigger picture, so I want to spell this out, even though we've spelled it out along the way to prepare ourselves for this. Destroy the people. It disturbs some people. I'm reading from my notes. It disturbs some people that God commanded every living thing in Jericho to be killed. Isn't our God a God of mercy, a God of love? After all, it's one thing for the Jews to kill the enemy soldiers, but why kill women, children, even animals? To begin with, this command was not a new one. The Lord had given it to Moses years before. It's the divine law of war found in Deuteronomy 20. In Deuteronomy 20, if you read Deuteronomy 20, it gives them specific things about how they're to do war. And it says, the Lord made a distinction between attacking cities that were far away and cities that were close. This particular group of land has been promised to them for 400 years. But if you live far away, it says, if a city is far away and they come to you and make a treaty, you can make a treaty of peace with them. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 20. But not these cities. These cities were to be taken. Before besieging a city that was far off, the Jews were to give that city an offer of peace. And if that city surrendered, then the Jews would spare the people. But the people in the cities of the land of Canaan were to be completely destroyed and their cities burned. Why? 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 It's one of the biggest questions against the Old Testament Scriptures. This God is a bloodthirsty God. This God kills men, women, and children. Yeah. There's an explanation. For one thing, 
the civilization in Canaan was unspeakably wicked and God didn't want His holy people contaminated by their neighbors. We read that in chapter back in Deuteronomy. He already prepared them for this. We must never forget that God put Israel in the world to be a channel for His blessing, to be a light and a city on a hill, which involves, among other things, the writing of the Scriptures, the coming of the Savior. You read through the Old Testament record and you will see again and again that Satan did everything he could to pollute the Jewish bloodline, the Jewish nation, to prevent the birth of the Messiah. And when the Jewish men married pagan women and began to worship other gods, it was a threat to the purposes God had for His chosen people. God wanted a holy seed. He calls you and I to be holy. His bride, the church, is to be holy. God is perpetually at war with sin, said Campbell Morgan. This is the whole explanation of the extermination of the Canaanites. Because the Jews didn't fully obey this commandment in years, in later years, it led to national defilement. It led to captivity by the Babylonians. It led to destruction and any number of terrible things. There's a second consideration. The people in the land had been given plenty of opportunity to turn to the Lord and repent, just as Rahab did. There's not a person in the city of Jericho, it says, that didn't know what was going on. That didn't have the testimony and the witness that the Israelites were coming and the living God was among them. And it said their, their hearts shook with fear. But your heart may shake with fear. Think about your own human heart. Your heart could shake with fear, but would you submit to the Lord? Would you trust Him? Have you trusted Him? Or have you said, you know what, I got this. The last thing I'm going to do is become a Christian. The last thing I'm going to do is trust God. I'll figure this out on my own. And what I can't figure out on my own, I'll just put up with. That's just the way it's going to be. So I don't. it doesn't record what the other people thought personally, but it does record what one prostitute thought. And we have her story of repentance. But it says, God gave these people 400 years to repent from the exodus of the crossing of the Jordan all the way through. And the Canaanites knew what was going on. Every wonder that God performed and every victory that God gave His people was a witness to the people of the land, but they preferred to go on in their sins and reject the mercy of God. Never think of the Canaanites as helpless, ignorant, innocent people knowing nothing about the true God. They were willfully sinning against a flood of light. A flood of light. We should also keep in mind that these historical events were written, it says in Romans 15, everything that was written is for our instruction. It said that God is telling that He will tolerate no compromise with sin in the lives of His people. And so as they go in, the, the city was devoted to the Lord. And the other cities have different instructions. They could take the things, but not this city. This is the first as they enter into the promised land. And it's a set precedent. And another thing that I was uh, came just so strong on me this week as I studied was this idea of presumption. Okay, And sometimes I make up definitions for words 
You can look up the definition of presumption in the, the dictionary just like I did or Google it. You just say to your phone, presumption. And the phone will look at you and say, really? That's presumptuous? Um, no, but here's, what I, here's the definition. A couple definitions I came up with presumption. You could read the textbook definition if you want. But taking life for granted is presumptuous. Taking the vast resources of God and your friends and setting them aside in place of your own short-sighted vision, your limited ideas, and oftentimes your narrow, our narrow-minded self-promoting assumptions, assuming something is true without sufficient evidence. And that basically means I'm smarter than God in this situation. That's presumption. And all through here, they have to trust God. They have to trust God for what doesn't make sense to them. But God said it, they should believe it. And so presumption is so dangerous. I was reading back in chapter 14 of Numbers. Chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 44, of the very event that took place 48 years earlier, where they said in their presumption, after they disobeyed, and they said, we're not going to go up. And Moses says, well, you're doing wrong. And then they become presumptuous. It uses the word presumption in verse 44. Here's a, here's a definition through another verse. It says, in a bold, audacious, presumptuous manner, they attempted to go up, not listening to the warnings of Moses against it and the danger they would be exposed to, but withdrawing themselves from God and being lifted up in themselves and confident in their own strength, they ventured out on this rash enterprise. So now, when they're going to take Jericho, which they could have taken 38 years earlier, but they rebelled in their presumption, God is humbling them. And God's saying, you're going to walk around the city. You're not going to lift a sword or your voice until I tell you. They would have to humble themselves before God and trust Him, and recognize their own presumption, recognize the presumption of their forebears. And I had written myself a little note about you young people. You young people who have Christian parents who have plowed the way for you, who love you, who care for you, who prepare for you, you are in danger of being presumptuous, thinking that you can just live off the work, the faith, the endurance, the discipline, the perseverance of your parents, when faith, you have to have your own faith and you have to walk into it, otherwise you'll be presumptuous and you'll be overwhelmed. You'll be taken down. So there's a humbling going on here. They've already marched 38 years and they're marching again, but they're marching to the beat of God's drum. And they're marching to understand what God is doing. So whatever you're facing right now, just be careful. You've probably been here before, in a smaller way maybe. You've been in this situation before, where you had to trust God or take matters into your own hands and do it your way. It's presumption. And if you go forward in presumption, you'll be back in the same place after you wander around for a while again, and then God brings you back and you have an opportunity to demonstrate faith and humility, not presumption. Trusting in what God said, 
so that you can move forward and take the land which your good and gracious God has promised you if you move forward. God doesn't want any flesh to glory. No flesh can glory. So if we're trusting in ourselves and not in God, we will not move forward. Not to His glory and not to our good. Because the flesh just puffs up. And so we'll finish the little story here right on time. It says in chapter 6, verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had gone, done the spying, went in and brought Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent his spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. God picks out one individual and her family because they put their trust in the living God in the midst of a massive crowd of people. He knows your story. He knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're going to do. And he invites you to trust him. Verse 26, at that time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, it says in 1 Kings chapter 16, at the cost of his firstborn son, will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, will he set up the gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. So now we're in the promised land, conquered our first city, taking the land, and we'll find out how quickly there's people that know the the whole story, even experience the whole story, and still will not trust God. Our hearts are what Scripture says. They're hard. The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? But God is the victor. And so if you would entrust the, the group that's going to close in a song, if you guys want to come up, our worship team. So as, uh, as we close our service today, I just want to remind you, ponder what wall you're facing. Either a wall of circumstances, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, financial. Can you and have you entrusted yourself and your wall to God? Whatever you're facing, and or do you intend to outthink God, outreason God, and God will have, God will give you your way. Either way, you trust Him and you go forward, or you don't trust Him, and He'll wait on you. He has patience, but He longs for you to trust Him and enter in and possess the land He has for you. Father God, we just ask as we close, as only you can, God, you know every heart in here. You know every circumstance. You know every situation. And you've invited us to trust you. You've given promises. 
You said that you would never leave us nor forsake us. You said that we could trust you. So God, we just want to come to you. We want to come and bring our lives to you and ask for your help. Give us humble hearts to do that, God. Give us the wisdom. Give us the courage. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe. In Jesus' precious name, amen.